gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about IBM's OutThink campaign with the help of special guest, founder and CEO of Omnia Strategy Group. Hello, my name is Watson. Together, we can outthink the limits of what's possible. Welcome to the cognitive era. Jessica Murray. Jessica, how are you? Hey, good. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat marketing and content, what you've been doing at Omnia, some of the cool customers and clients that you have, and everything in between. So start off, tell us about Omnia. Yeah, so, you know, it's, you can sort of think of us as like the that B2B tech, the company that B2B tech startups turn to when they're, they're really ready to shine, right? There's so many companies, great companies out there that have amazing ideas and solutions, but they're not quite sure how to get the word out. So that's kind of where we come in. So we take these Companies with huge potential, often they're flying under the radar, maybe stealth mode. And we help them with positioning, like strategic positioning, end-to-end product marketing. And we do some pretty large-scale thought leadership content initiatives as well. So yeah, that's about it. High level. Yeah. And what stage are you normally working with? And what types of companies? Is it generally B2B? Is it all different kinds? Yeah. So it's B2B tech companies. Um, you know, most of my experience is in the cybersecurity industry. So most of my clients are in that space. And they typically are early stage. So I help organizations from stealth mode through series A, B, C, and kind of get them you know, through those funding rounds as well. So sometimes I'll do some larger organizations as well. But for the most part, it's those early stage B2B tech companies. And today you wanted to talk about IBM's OutThink campaign. Why the heck did you pick that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it came out a long time ago now. Uh, I think it was 2015. And um, I just think it's one of those one of those amazing examples in the in the industry of just incredible creativity. And, you know, I think that it, it stands out to me because it, it just seems so much more than an advertising push, right? It seemed like it was this entire mindset in a way. It included this sort of spirit of, of innovation and, and forward thinking that I think that IBM has championed for a long time, decades, <laughs> maybe... Maybe we can start thinking about IBM in, in uh, over a century now. Oh my gosh. But, you know, I think the, the campaign really invited us to look beyond the conventional and to imagine, reimagine what's, what's possible. I think what really does it for me is the depth of the message. And it's not, it actually was not about selling a product or a service. It was about trying to inspire some level of change and, and even uh, progress, right? 13,000 Australians will be diagnosed with melanoma this year. And 1,700 of us will die. It's our deadliest skin cancer. 
but the easiest to beat when caught early. So, to save lives, IBM Watson is learning from the data of Australians to help improve detection. And you can help. I think, you know, this is something that I'm super interested in, but it's, it, to me, it sort of highlighted how technology can be used to solve real-world problems. How, how can technology serve humanity, right? I think in many ways, it's the other way around right now. And that's not a good place to be, right? But, it, but this whole campaign and all the content that surrounded it was, was really focused on how can we use technology to improve lives, empower people, maybe inspire, drive some kind of societal advancement and change. And that's really what it, what it does for me. I think it's sort of, honestly, I think it's a sort of a masterclass in, in how, how a campaign needs to run or how, how thought leadership needs to be, you know, brought forth, right? Meredith, what is IBM's OutThink campaign? Yeah, so IBM's OutThink campaign was created by ad agency Ogilvy and launched in 2015 to promote IBM Watson, this data analytics processor. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. Watson uses natural language processing to understand a question, analyze tons of data, and come back with an answer based on that data. So in other words, you ask Watson a question and it returns pretty quickly with an answer based on data from across the internet that it has basically like looked over and analyzed. It's named after former IBM CEO Thomas J. Watson and became world famous after beating human contestants in Jeopardy in 2011, which is wild. Now we come to Watson, who is Bram Stoker and the waiter. Hello, 17,973 and a two-day total of 77,147. IBM CEO Ginny Romady says the goal was to redefine the relationship between man and machine. So it's been used in healthcare, finance, retail, and more. And I, I think this is a qu- just a quick interjection here, Meredith, that Watson was, I mean, first of all, brilliant marketing and branding and and positioning uh, piece in and of itself, right? To call it Watson, Watson, obviously a tie to the company, like you said, but also like Sherlock and Watson, right? So like we all (laughs) all know that one too for Watson, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, like it is, it is a sidekick, right? So they named it something extremely brilliant. And Watson to me has never seemed scary. Like chat GPT, you know, by, by our, you know, that sounds scary, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, what is this? It's this. It's, <laughs> it feels like a robot. Watson feels like your friend. You are Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yes. Please, do come in, Mister Doctor Watson. John Watson. They. It's this whole thing started with them creating, you know, this very very powerful technology, but also naming it something that is very relatable. So then once you s- create content and, and campaigns off of Watson, which you see all the time and is referenced all the time, I wonder, I mean, it would be curious. I bet you if you said IBM Watson, like it probably has like 100% market penetration to like their ICP. Like I bet you every single person yeah. knows exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you were to say, trying to think of a similar technology, but... I don't know, like just but n- name a big company with their like Salesforce is called Einstein, right? Like that probably has really big penetration in, mm-hmm. in the market as well. Whereas like if you were to say, 
you know, something else if it was called, you know, the nebulizer or something like that, right? Because it would be, it would, <laughs> it's just much, that. yeah, much <laughs> less, uh, um, much less obvious. So the Outthink campaign, I think, to start with, okay, we're trying to humanize the mm-hmm. robot and to make it like your pal and make it something that's really, you know, smart and cool, that I think it started there. So then we get flash forward, you know, years later to this Outthink campaign. To tell you more about this specific campaign, the OutThink campaign promoted this idea of cognitive business through the use of Watson, and that by using Watson, you're leveraging a tool that will enable employees to work faster and smarter and give you a leg up on your competitors. It was considered an integrated media campaign and consisted of a series of print, digital, and video ads, the print versions which were featured in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and each ad was different. So an example of what this looked like was an ad targeting the cybersecurity industry is a full-color image of a network of connections lit up in the shape of an eye, and it says, outthink threats. In smaller text, it says, seeing threats others might miss helps you respond to attacks before they endanger your business. And then it goes on to explain how IBM Watson... IBM Security and Watson scan blogs, forms, and bulletins to gain security intelligence while being able to search through unstructured data to find threats. One of the things that really stands out to me for the OutThink ads is, so first of all, they did an eight-page insert in Mm -hmm. like Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Wired, and a bunch of others talking about this like cognitive era thing. So it's great that it started, or that it that they had a huge print component to it, which is kind of wild. But um, <laughs> but no shots of print. It's a really just still really strong for awareness. You know, it's not just digital. It's a thing that's I, I think that because we're still seeing that. We you know Wall Street Journal still has. In fact, I'm I'm looking at them for something similar for one of my clients right now to do some of those full spread. You know, or yeah. even one page ads in Harvard Business Review. I mean, it still gets a lot of eyes, right? Well, and I think that that as with everything is like everything is multimedia now. So it's like mm-hmm. it's part of a campaign. I mean, back in the day, it used to be the campaign, right? That's it's right. like if if they skip your ad, you know, or whatever. But part of the thing is about magazines is like magazines, not to wax poetic here since I used to sell <laughs> magazine advertising. The thing about magazines is that they have potentially a really long shelf life, depending on the type of magazine, a bunch of other things. So you would have magazines back in the day that would sit at a barber shop or they would sit at a doctor's office or whatever. And those ads are going to continue to perform, you know, over time. People would share magazines, all that sort of stuff. Now, that is not the case anymore. Magazines are not really like that anymore. And a lot of those type of digital or print campaigns are, are going to have a digital component anyways with like a site takeover, things like that. But so there was ways to get like, you would get a lot more reach with the way that they'd be passed around and things like that. So, mm-hmm. and then the thing also about magazines is certain ad units are extremely valuable. So the back cover is really valuable. Page one is very valuable. Oh, any, right, yeah. Any mm-hmm. inserts or... <clears throat> things. So of course, because it's IBM, they did an eight-page spread. So to put that into perspective, <laughs> I don't know how much it costs I'm right sure now. It was pretty spendy. Yeah. To do an eight-page <laughs> spread. But like when we were when I was selling magazine ads for a much smaller publica- publication, you're looking at like 10 grand for like a premium ad unit. For a quarter of the page or something, right? Or yes. So for, yeah. <laughs> so for them, I mean like that might be an eight pages might be I mean, it might have been 150 grand or something, something like that. So, which is interesting. And they did it for all these different 
publications and their wow. IBM. So, you know, the way that they go to market is very much like this. But so they did these ads, and we'll link them up here in the show notes so that you can actually look at them. But they're absolutely stunning. So first mm-hmm. off, if you don't know this about me, I'm a sucker for a really good close-up photo of someone's face. <laughs> I don't know why. Interesting. It's well, like, I mean, to your point, though, these were done. These are really beautiful. They were incredibly, you They're know, stunning. The dra- yeah, the design's amazing, yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. There's all sorts of colors. There's mm-hmm. people's faces, like, right up in your face. There's people of different, you know, ethnicities and genders and ages. There's young and old and, and all that sort of stuff. People with gray hair and not so much hair. It's like a children's book. So they have all of that stuff. And then... You know, this thing that says, welcome to the cognitive era, a new era of technology, new era of, a new era of business, a new era of thinking. Is your business ready to be a cognitive business? So it's it, this, this sort of shift of the, you know, the, the business component to this, which you know. But all the different pages say, outthink cancer, outthink competitors, outthink wins, outthink doubt, outthink old school, outthink risk, outthink trends. You've hit the bullseye, my friend. You knew they'd want the majestic beauty corn, this year's holiday it toy. And to think your husband bought them the Captain Kaboom Space Cowboy. Seriously good, sir. How did you know, he asks. IBM Watson Trend. And I think it speaks to this business case that they're trying to relay that, like, Watson and the cognitive era and then moving to their cognitive cloud right. and building a cognitive infrastructure and all these things that if your business is doing this stuff, then you can outthink what is coming and you can outthink things that are impossibly hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like outthink cancer. We don't have a cure for cancer. So the idea of trying to think about how to do that is very, very interesting. And then at the back part of the ad, they have a bunch of different data and information that you can sort of sink your teeth into there. And they also have this a bunch of the different sort of use cases and the APIs. So they have like a list of all the different APIs, 28 cloud-based APIs, soon to be 50 that you can you can build on and then it lists them all out. So like language right. detection, personality insights, face detection, dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it gives sort of by looking at the the eight-page ad, which again is ridiculously expensive, but it actually is able to tell an entire story with beautiful visuals, with mm-hmm. people, make it humanizing, make it, you know, all those things. And so you get the totality of this thing, which is, you know, I think really interesting. To me, if it was just one ad and it said, outthink, you know, outthink cancer, for example, like that might get me thinking, but like it's not really going to do it for me. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that this campaign would have been successful if they didn't have sort of like the rest of the stuff. Cause I think, like by and yeah. large, I think. IBM and a lot of these big companies that do these big, big brand plays that a lot, a lot of times, to me, it's just too nebulous. Like, I don't really know the business yeah, value. that's a really good point, right? And you made a really good point about it having all these different kinds of people and backgrounds and ages and everything. It's like, there's a, there's a really interesting inclusivity to this. And what I mean by that is that it's, it wasn't just like a call to action for companies or people in the technology industry. It was like a message to everybody. So even like to the consumer, which is really interesting, right? It's like, this is really something that only organizations use, but they were also messaging it to like people like you and I, right? And so 
it's suggested that like all of us have the potential to outthink the problems we face with the right tools and the right mindset. I am a technological breakthrough. This morning, I read over 4,000 articles on leukemia in less than a second. I can understand euphemisms, idiosyncrasies, and complex metaphors. I know every detail of every public quarterly report in the last 20 years. And I'm just getting warmed up. And that's, you know, I think one of the many, one of the many brilliant things about it, right? You know, I think that the the other thing that that you sort of touched on too was there was this sort of how to say this like that it was visionary in the sense of IBM sort of repositioned themselves in a way is that not just a company that sells technology through this right it was like suddenly there was this massive thought leadership thought leader that understands the the broader implications of innovation and it was about thinking bigger and tackling the huge and, and seemingly unsolvable challenge of our challenges of our time, right? From healthcare to environmental sustainability, et cetera, right? And showing, I guess, how that cognitive computing is truly a game changer, right? That's what was coming across. Yeah, and I think like by going the case study route, I think that that's a really smart way of going about it, right? So you mm-hmm. see a guy's face, and it says outthink competitors, which to me like doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. But then when you see cognitive sports is here, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. And then it says now 33 million <laughs> fantasy football fans apply uh, cognition to the hardest questions: who to draft and who to trade. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess that's kind of interesting. That's like pretty interesting use case. And then yeah, when I use the fantasy is. football app, ESPN fantasy football, and all the trades are scored by Watson, which is a very probably expensive brand integration in <laughs> itself. But, you know, then then I've been using it sort of over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so it, it connects back to this thing. And I think that that's where like these big companies who do big brand campaigns very often need to hone in on some, some really sharp use cases mm-hmm, and not just right. be a pure brand play. That's right. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Because I, I think that a lot of people, especially these days, is that they have, you know, we have very real like content fatigue, like soundbite fatigue. And, you know, I think it's it's one reason that, you know, more more people are moving away from that kind of shallow soundbite. I mean, I don't know the percentage now, but I think it was something like that, you know, at least in America, the the faith in the leg in legacy media is at an all-time low. It's because it's like these short 30-second, you know, sound bites that really are, are virtually meaningless. And people are like gravitating toward like in droves to these like long form, you know, conversational podcasts. I mean, maybe it's one reason that you <laughs> that you started your own podcast. Yeah, right. But but um, but yeah, I mean, it's like this was, I think that's the other reason why it stands out is that there was something really meaningful about it too. And and now that we're talking about this, I mean, it just kind of strikes me that. Out of all of the design and, and strategic brilliance, I think about this whole thing is there's there's something that strikes me about the the timing and the execution of this whole thing too. And this campaign came out when the conversations around artificial intelligence and cognitive computing was really starting to just enter the public sphere, right? It, to just to to reach our consciousness, and so it was still. You know, it was when AI was still sort of this like 
I don't know, the, <laughs> the Star Trek concept. Space, a final frontier. And IBM capitalized on that moment with a campaign that was, that was both like educational, inspirational, and I don't know, setting, setting the stage for discussions about the future of technology, but they did it in a way that was really accessible. And somehow, I think since then, AI wasn't as far out of a concept anymore. It was suddenly a topic that we could have real conversations about. So, just a side, quick side note on that. I mean, I just I, I think there were there was probably something really brilliant about the timing of this whole thing too. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think like by and large, when when they released Watson, like all of us were like, "What is what is that?" <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, oh, what is that's great. What does Watson do other than you know win in Jeopardy? Right, <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is what it does. Mm-hmm. It yeah. helps with oncology. It helps with fantasy football. It helps with insurance. It helps with education. And then now you can kind of sink your teeth into it. The other thing is like by 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 ushering it as like the cognitive era is your bed business ready to be a cognitive business. These are very much like you know category building, you okay. know positioning, you know type aspirational kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. aspirational type things, and sort of like selling it now, which is like hey, this is ready yeah. to buy. You can do it right now, mm-hmm. which I think again is when you're selling aspirational things is is sometimes tough. First, Watson interprets millions of conversations simultaneously because it understands tone, context, and meaning in human language. So when Cassidy Rapinski, Florida fifth grader and unicorn enthusiast first posted, OMG, Unicorn, so fantasy-licious, hashtag unicorn life, hashtag must have, Watson understood. So in that case, I mean, they weren't just selling the future, which often, you know, us marketers, we do a lot of. I mean, I think it's part of our part of our job description to sell the future, you know. But to your point, it's like it was actually a you know something real that people could 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 buy, right, and use. So yeah, agreed. And I think there's something you know core and elemental t- to business and being able to outthink, right, mm-hmm, outmaneuvering mm-hmm. your that's right your, uh, your competitors. Any other B2B takeaways? I mean, one for me for sure is like, again, I love the close-up photos of, of people. I have no idea how much they cost. <laughs> they look like mm-hmm. they're very expensive photos. I don't know if they're like real customers or like models or whatever, but you know, if I if I were to if I were to offer my feedback, I would say if you're doing it at doing it at home, get a photographer, take some really cool photos of your actual customers. I think that's a pretty good mm-hmm. takeaway. I think that that's yeah. stuff like it's always worth the money to take high quality photo and video. Yeah. If you can do it of your customers because it's it's so important and you can use those things a variety of different ways. They feel flattered, it looks cool, you know, hopefully. And I think that that's a that's a good that's a good play. And then the other thing too is like, you know, IBM notoriously very fickle about their brand. If you go to their mm-hmm. website, yeah, you go look true. at their stuff, <laughs> their brand is wired tight. And mm-hmm. yet these ads, I would say, don't feel very IBM at all. So Yeah, they kind of ventured away from their, you know, I would say their kind of traditional IBM brand guidelines for sure. With all this new data, Watson is now helping researchers work to boost detection accuracy from 60% with the naked eye to 91%. If I hadn't met Watson at Bondi 
They may never have found this suspicious mole and they'll probably still be carrying it around. I hope to help more Australians like Ian. So together, we can finally outthink melanoma. Catch you later, mate. Yeah, the bee yeah. and the and the white and black and blue and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's very different. And if you mm -hmm. go look at like IBM.com slash Watson and you go look, there's not a bunch of photos of people's faces and there's not a lot of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's geometric shapes and, and things like that. So it is very much, it was a departure from the brand, I think, a bit. Mm -hmm. Well-being, I think, very cool. So I think that's always worth it to sort of venture outside your brand a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also just, I mean, seriously, like the power of creativity and design in helping to, you know, further messaging, right? And when it's done correctly, it's it's incredibly powerful. I'm a huge fan of that. It's I think it, it's too bad that we don't see more organizations, especially in B2B tech, that, that aren't investing more in things like that. Because, I mean, that's, to me, that's really the point of, you know, great creativity, great design work. It's really about reinforcing the brand and the message, even when it's really out there and it's creative and it's just, it gets people, it really stops you, right? I mean, like even with, with this, you know, several years later, we still look at this and think, wow, this is actually stunning work and we're going to remember it because it's, it's so compelling. Switching gears to how you think about things with your clients at Omnia, obviously, You've, you've been in marketing and product marketing for a bunch of different cybersecurity companies. You've been in marketing for a while. Curious, when you're sitting down with one of these type of startups that, you know, obviously stage varies. So, you know, mm -hmm. advice varies. Ask your doctor if, if it's right for you. But uh, when you sit down with someone, what do you recommend thinking about their marketing strategy and how content fits into it? Uh, really good question. You know, I think especially with the, a lot of the earlier stage, even, you know, stealth motor or even series A companies that I work with is there's so many priorities that they're, that they're moving through. Right. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, what ends up happening is that their, their story kind of does, isn't told. Right. And so sometimes, you know, a lot of the time, actually they, their messaging and positioning will suffer because of that. And so I don't think it's possible to really get to great content unless there is solid messaging and positioning and you can't get to messaging and positioning without really diving deep into the, the story and the narrative of that company. And that means getting in the room with the founders and other, you know, other people who are involved with the company early on, maybe, you know, investors, VCs, and understanding as much as possible and as deeply as possible, like, why do they start this company? I mean, I can't tell you how many, like, amazing stories I've heard that actually don't have anything, that sometimes don't have anything to do with the actual technology, but there was something that, like, happened in their personal life that drove them to do what they're doing. And it may seem kind of, you know, unimportant or even trivial or whatever, but it's, but it's not. And so that's where I start with with organizations if they if they really you know especially the ones that really need help with their positioning and messaging it's like well we got it this is ground zero that's where we have to start like why did we start this company and what was really meaningful to you and what what are the things that make you angry right about what you're trying to solve for i mean the, these things have like a, a real you know hot button and connection to them and we need to to flush out that entire narrative the companies that nail that are the, usually the ones that have just phenomenal content. They're they're clear about 
what they offer, what their differentiators are, how they compete. They're clear about their use cases, things like that. That is like so important. You'd be amazed how many organizations don't have like their use cases nailed. That's a huge problem, right? And it stems back to like the root cause is, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't spend the time and, and really dig deep on our story, our, our brand identity, all those things, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that where they just falter all the time is on the where your customer, where that persona of your ICP fits into the story. Like I started Caspian, you know, back in the day because when I was on a marketing team and I was trying to do strategic initiatives and I was working on content and we were trying to get stuff done and we had all these grand plans and wanted to make series and, you know, make fiction stuff and do all this. And we couldn't do it because we didn't have that capacity in house. And like, boy, now I wish people had that stuff in house. And here's how content can shape you know, the market and here's how we used it for ourselves and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. That's a horrible explanation, but <laughs> of Caspian. <laughs> I get but, it. Uh, <laughs> we get uh, it. <laughs> off the cuff, giving an absolutely terrible version of our own company. Um, <laughs> but but I think that, but so often it's like, I started this, I was talking, we were talking to a founder the other day. It's like, why'd you start the company? He's like, to make money. He's like, I know that's not the right thing to say, but it's true. Mm-hmm. He's like, there was a need in the market, there was a space, there was whatever. And I was like, even with that type of an answer, Mm -hmm. it's like, it goes back to, there's a group of people who are frustrated about doing blank. That's right. And you figured out a way to make them happier, make their jobs better, make them get outsized results. Yeah, it was still something that they cared enough about to actually put the time, energy, money into, you know, into trying to solve it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think that just so many people miss that. And then the other thing that they miss is making sure that you're telling that story where the person or the customer, where your prospect, that persona is at the center of the story over and over and over again, right? It's like just so many people miss that. It's like, it's all it's all about them. It's all for them. So then once you sort of have that conversation and you go through some of those exercises, what are some of the things that you find that are that are surprising or things that startup founders who maybe don't have a lot of marketing background, mistakes mm-hmm. that, they, that they're making or things that they don't want to do. And you got you to gotta get them to cross the chasm. Yeah, that's such a great question. Oh my gosh, there's, so, <laughs> there's, there's a lot. I mean, here, here's one of the biggest things that I see that's consistent. And so myself and all my colleagues, like we are sort of used to it and we anticipate it because it's so common. It's not a huge problem to work through, but it tends to come up, especially if the founders are engineers, right? Which they often are. And they're very engineering minded. So one of the things that I come across a lot is in, in certain things like putting together the, the sales deck, right? Or the customer, the customer facing deck. Like what is really just going to be the high level pitch of this whole thing, right? And they will pack on so much into one slide text and like diagrams that super technical stuff that people are just going to like, you know, just get glazed over when they see it, right? That's a common thing where it's like, no, we don't have to pack everything about the company and how it works onto one side. That's not how it's done, right? So they're 
there are things like that. I think that there's there's a tendency to think that we have to be really technical about things to show the value. Like that's just not true. We we can show value based on, you know, how are we solving a problem that no one else is, right? In a way that no one else is. How is it making your life easier? Like those things are compelling, right? There tends to be a, a I think a bias toward, you know, it's like these, I don't know, these 20 page technical white papers, let's face it, like nobody reads because who who really wants to go through all of that, right? There's a time, there's a time and place. Maybe, maybe it's a solutions architect that wants to, you know, dig deep into stuff like that. But that's still in, in, at least in my experience, and you know, I've been doing this a while, that that's even pretty rare. But those are some of the common things that I that I realize that tend to happen with, you know, an early stage startup, especially if there's, you know, founders or other people involved in the company early stage that are very engineering minded because they haven't been exposed to it either, right? They don't really understand like the the how the flow of information, how that works and why it's important to, you know, uh, package it in such a way where, you know, we're, we're we're actually getting across what our value is in our story, right? That somebody's actually going to care about. Yeah, do you think that I mean I've found that that founders are often too much looking at like features and benefits and things That's like right. that. That's and right. And they just don't they would rather just push the use case rather than try to figure out how the person is buying and how mm-hmm. they would receive yeah. it and how much time they think about it. I think the classic mistake that you see is, you know, your customer thinks about your problem five minutes a year, you know, and you're trying to <laughs> basically take more of their time, right? It's like, yeah, right. We're selling to CIOs who are it's like they're gonna look at that slide, take the, you know, t- Take the engineering managers, like if that's the recommendation <laughs> and it fits within the stack and all that sort of stuff, they're going to do it. I'm like, you've spent, you know, all of your marketing budget on CIOs, yet they they literally are just going to do what's like in the magic quadrant as well as long as their VP recommends it or whatever. Yeah, you know? like, true. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, anyways to sort of get them around that and to have a more like, you know, audience type approach to whether it's creating marketing or creating content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I find that there's a couple of things that, that you know, we often do. And, and usually in a security company, we do have someone that is kind of an external thought leader, like chief security officer or chief information security officer, who obviously has, you know, responsibilities internally for the security of the company, but also is really active with customers and active in the market and media and analysts and stuff like that. What I've found is to have allies like that who can actually say, like, come from a CISO perspective and say, you know what, this really isn't going to resonate with this persona, right? The other thing is to, and I know they they do this a lot to founders, which is great, and they talk to customers a lot. Super important to do that and actually get their, their feedback too. Talking to advisors, every startup has advisors, and you know, get their get their input on it as well. I found that all of that it's sort of a you know group effort that's really helpful. And also, just from our perspective, from marketing perspective, like working really hard to understand as much as possible, as deeply as possible, the solution, the platform, how it works, the value of it, so we can help guide them through creating that narrative. That's something that that's going to be really compelling for them too. So. It goes both ways. It's not. It's not about blame necessarily. It's like, okay, here's the situation. How can marketing help kind of move this along? 
in a in a helpful way, right? How do you think about the ROI of content? That's a really good question. You know, I <laughs> here's generally how I think about it. It's like if we talk about the ROA of like content marketing, I think it's important to remember that it does not exist in a vacuum. It's just one piece of a broader ecosystem. So I think to to really to truly understand its value, we need to consider how it works with all the other marketing efforts. So it's I think it's more about like the collective impact, you know, of your brand's growth and, and presence in the market. We can certainly measure the direct impact of content, like through, you know, engagement, lead gen conversations, like we all do that, right? We also have to look at how it supports and amplifies the other marketing initiatives. So example, does it enhance SEO efforts? Is it, you know, providing valuable touch points for the sales team? Is it helping to continue to build that cohesive and compelling brand story? And so when I think about the ROI of like specific things like content, my mind immediately goes to like, well, that's a great question and we can get to it. But like, really, it's more about like the broader ecosystem, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, part of the reason why we built this show is to integrate marketing more into the go-to-market and show value. And I think that what we see a lot in conversations with marketing teams is just how siloed it is from pipeline. (laughs) And like... You're just mm-hmm. like, hey, it's who's true. your ICP? And like, hey, what, what's what's the most important persona for this for next year? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Well, who are we making content for? And they're like, well, we're kind of making it for everybody. I'm like, yeah, but this should be like triage. Like, we should know who's. Yeah. Hey, financial services the most important industry that we're trying to do next year. So we need more content. Like, those are the mm-hmm. sort of things that I I feel like a lot of times content isn't really getting enough information there. And if you're not getting information there, and if you're not even able to tie it back, we're just talking to a marketer and they're saying how, like we're trying to, we're creating a campaign where we're shaping some accounts. We have a podcast, we have an account-based strategy there. It's like, well, we're trying to do this brand thing. So if we, if we loop in the ABM people, like, should we be doing that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like this, yes. in this case, it's a video <laughs> series, right? It's like this video series is going to do both. Mm-hmm. It's like it's going to help both sides. And like if we integrate them, if we, maybe we can pull some budget from them too, which would be nice because the content budget's usually pretty tiny. So I think that like part of it is just like, you know, layering it in to nesting it into the priorities of sales of the business, of the accounts that you're trying to go after and building okay. content there first. Um, yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, it's really, it's a huge problem. It's like, it's actually pretty difficult for a lot of companies. I mean, I totally understand why, but to actually run integrated marketing and actually be able to attribute efforts to pipeline and revenue, right? <clears throat> I mean, there's all kinds of things in the tech stack that can show us things like, you know, multi-touch attribution, right? Like who downloaded what and how is that, you know, influencing deals? Is it getting to stage whatever in the, you know, in the sales cycle? Yeah, I mean, I know when the companies aren't doing that, it's just like they're they're really it's a lot of it's they're self sabotage, you know. If not everybody is involved in that, right? Indeed, Jessica, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. Any final thoughts here on marketing on content? Uh, no, this has been great. Thanks so much for for having me. Great conversation. Yeah, 
It's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you, as it always is. And people can so, go to so. workwithomnia.com to learn yes. more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. That's and it. We'll link, that, we'll link that up in the show notes. And if you, if you know a startup, if you are a startup and you need some help on positioning, on marketing, anywhere from you know seed to series C and beyond, or even <laughs> stealth, market dominance starts here. So go to workwithomnia.com. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. It's so great having you on the show. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.